Welcome to the Women Who Drone podcast. Join our community. Head to womenwhodrone.co to sign up for online courses, drone lessons, workshops, and more. womenwhodrone.co. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Women Who Drone podcast series. I'm your host, Elena Buenrostro, the founder of Women Who Drone, and today we have Sue Osborne as our guest. Sue was the chief drone pilot for the AGB events and Intel to run the Southern Hemisphere's biggest drone show in Sydney, Australia in January 2022. She has a wealth of experience with drones, having served in the Middle East with the Australian Army before taking on the chief pilot role with Mirigan. Thank you so much for being here, Sue. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Elena. How are you? Thanks for having me on your show. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to learn more about you and all things drones and light shows. Uh, But before we jump in, I would love to start with hearing more about your background, where you grew up and how you got started with drones in general. Yeah, so I grew up on the uh, Australian East Coast in New South Wales uh, and I joined the Australian Army straight out of school. Uh, I did 27 and a half years in the defense and the first 16 years of that was as a medic and then as i went up through the ranks i did less clinical work uh got a little bit bored and then in late 2000s there was an opportunity to change jobs and go into surveillance and target acquisition and so i started my career again uh, and became a drone operator initially with um, boeing in situ scan eagle and then I also got qualified on Textron's Shadow 200. I deployed to the Middle East once with each of those systems. Uh, and then I discharged from the Army January last year. And now I work as a senior consultant for Mirigan Consulting, which is a consulting company that concentrates and focuses on robotics, autonomous systems and AI. That's amazing. A lot you've you've done (laughs) and a lot of experience, which leads me to my next question. Having a military background, I'm sure you've learned a ton of skills. Mm. And it sounds like you had a lot of experience working with beyond visual line of sight and drones. Can you talk to us more about how that has equipped you as a remote drone pilot, especially as it pertains to the work that you do now? Mm. Yeah, look, I didn't realize how much experience and and things that you take for granted in military, in complex operations, beyond visual line of sight, high tempo, high, you know, risk sort of roles that I didn't realize how much that translated. Uh, In particular, the recent drone light show that we did in Sydney Harbour, which was, you know, complex airspace, a lot of moving parts, a lot of risks. Um, and a lot of things to consider. So yeah, I was quite fortunate that developing the safety case for that, I, I didn't find too difficult because of my experience and you know, risk analysis and, and looking at control measures is quite, you know, it's what we do day to day in military. So it was easy to transfer that process across. It's always nice when your last job sets you up for your new job. So you have all of the knowledge to make your new job a lot easier. Yeah. Um, It sounds like that's what happened. So we'd love to just learn more about your experience with drone light shows. How did you even pivot to going to work for Merrigan? And did you know about light shows previously? What was that transition like? 
Yeah, so essentially Merrigan is a veteran-owned, veteran-operated consultancy company. So a lot of our work is back to defence or security organisations. And we're now sort of transitioning into agriculture, but it's essentially how to understand what drones can do to help organisations, what um, you know may or may not work, and sometimes a drone is not the right solution. So we don't really target and, and go for a sell that drones are the the be all and end all, we sort of look at the organisation and determine what the problem is that they're trying to solve and then reverse engineering, is drones a solution or maybe it's not. So that's what we sort of focus on. And then the drone light show came about because Intel was running the show and were coming to Australia and you know, the timeline got a little bit tight and who they were originally operating with wasn't successful in achieving the, the timeline. They didn't think that they could achieve it. Uh, so they reached out to Merrigan and my boss called me up six weeks out from the show and said, hey, Sue, what are the chances you can make this happen? Uh, so it was a very uh, steep, not steep learning curve, but certainly a lot of work to go through and get a remote operating certificate, get the Intel guys qualified in Australian licensing, build the safety case, demonstrate to our regulator, and then start the show. So a lot of stuff happened well before the show, uh, and the show was just amazing and a great culminating factor of all that hard work. Yeah, I, I saw the video and it was incredible. It left me with a lot of questions and we'll be sure to add that video to this podcast so our audience can also watch. So it, it sounds like this was your first time you were leading a drone show. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, essentially. You know, the first time, just go with the biggest. Yeah, that's awesome. And so can you talk to us more about that learning curve and did it make you excited to continue doing more light shows? Is it something that you want to continue doing? And what did you have any learnings after doing this show? Yeah, look, that, that show was just next level and very mesmerizing. And, you know, it, it took us weeks to come down off that buzz. So absolutely, this is something that I would like to continue to do. And, and Merrigan is, you know, looking to find other opportunities to continue to build this. Um, so it is something that we would definitely like to to continue doing. Can you talk to us more um, just about the the process? Like, what mm. is the process of setting up a light show? You said that you had six weeks. So mm. what does it look like in six weeks to get that all done? Yeah. So in Australia, we have our Civil Aviation Safety Authority. So in order to do any sort of commercial work, whether it be, you know, photography, um, filming, or a drone light show, you need to have a remote operator certificate. So that was the first thing I needed to do was achieve, you know, the operating certificate for that company. Uh, with that then gets appointed a chief remote pilot, which is the role that I fulfilled. Each operator needs to be licensed in Australia. So that's about two weeks of training, both theoretically and then manual, you know, handling of a small drone of any description. It, it really doesn't relate to the drone light show, but it's more about, you know, demonstrating the skill set. So the operators needed to get that qualified. Then I needed to establish an operations manual that accounted for all of our CASA regulations and our manual of, of safety authority and, and what that entails. We then needed to build a safety case, do a risk assessment, look at our stakeholders, uh, engage on all the risks and who's responsible and present that, that safety case to CASA. We then needed to organise a small demonstration to show the 
you know, the geofencing and some of the safety aspects of the, the equipment. Because I'd only just met the crew, we had to rehearse and demonstrate how we were going to do business because, you know, it's all about teamwork and checklists and, you know, making sure that everything we said we were going to do, we do it in that order to get a safe show. Once CASA were satisfied that, you know, that we met that, they then issued us a one-to-many license so that we could then, you know, continue to train and build on that. And then we started doing the rehearsals on site in Sydney Harbour off a barge uh, and start doing the, you know, calibrations and the checks and balances in preparation for the show. Sounds like a whole production. So a big team, I bet. Yeah. So from Mirrigan, there was myself and, and we also had a project manager leading, uh, but we've also partnered with AGB Events. So AGB Events are specialists in large scale production, lighting, projections, uh, audio, media. So they built the story, built the picture, worked with the Intel animator to tell the story and make sure that, you know, what we were presenting was a representation of Sydney, Australia, and in particular focused on our traditional landowners and what, you know, represents Sydney in, in summertime. So that's the background to the story. Awesome. Yeah, I did see that it was summer, Sydney, um, spelt out. And so how many drones were in the air at the time? I, I want to say I read 500. And is that an overwhelming number of drones to have in the air at any given point? Did that make you feel a bit nervous at all? You're right. It was 500. We had, I think, 607 available. And then the system goes through out of that 600. or it, It's about 580, I think, on the ground hooked up to the system. And then the system selects the most, I guess, thorough 500. So what have which ones have the best communication, GPS, connectivity, and then it will, you know, provide those with the animation. So once, you know, essentially the show starts, all the drones know where they're going, how they're going to get there, where they're going to go, when they turn their lights on and when they turn their lights off and make sure that they remain within that geofence. So look, I think whether it's five in the sky or 500, it's just mesmerizing and it kind of reminded me when I first saw it as like the movie Avatar with these, you know, fireflies taking off and it, it's still mesmerizing. But I think the key is the story that you're telling and, you know, encapsulating the audio with the visual to, to paint a picture in the sky. Absolutely. So moving on a little bit to risk management, that's obviously something that's really important when you're working on a drone light show. What types of measures are taken in the event that a drone goes rogue, or is, you mentioned geofencing, are you putting a geofence around a certain radius? What does it look like in the mm. event that something goes wrong? Yeah, so different systems have different safety measures in place. So I can only really talk about uh, Intel and without going into too much of their um, IP sort of information, there's two layers of geofencing on their system. So the initial geofence will detect an aircraft. If it goes outside of that, then the system will automatically command it to come home. In the event that it, it doesn't come home and it continues, it'll then, the secondary is to essentially cut the engine and drop that one out of the sky. So, you know, in terms wow. of where we were in the harbour, that you know meant that it landed in the water and there was no risk to people or personnel as we had closed off that particular bay from all activity during the actual show yeah i did see it was all in the water and i figured that was on purpose 
in the event mm. that anything went wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because it's, you know, smack bang between two of our most famous landmarks of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, but it also is actually a restricted airspace. So it was quite, oh, wow. you know, every risk that could go, we had to sort of measure that, even to the point of, you know, closing down a lane on the Harbour Bridge and reducing the speed so that we didn't, you know, have someone run up the back of another car because they were mesmerised by this drone light show in the sky. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about weather. I know as a drone pilot myself, this is something I'm constantly monitoring when I go out and fly my drone. And I'm sure a lot of people who fly drones that are listening right now think about that as well. But mm. when it comes to a drone light show, how do you think about weather? Are you constantly monitoring it and working with certain people to understand everything about the weather that day? Yeah, that's such an interesting fact that you brought up because two nights of the show, we were really tested with weather. And honestly, it was like the weather gods were on our side to help us I out for that. a period of time. Oh, it was ridiculous. So yeah, we did have, because that event was so you know big and the risks were, were high, we didn't want to, one, not run the show, and then two, run the show in an unsafe manner. So we had a meteorologist available to us throughout the show. They were doing one-on-one -on -one chats with me and the crew four hours before the show. And then depending on what the risk and what the weather forecast was sort of looking at, we then would reschedule and reconvene an hour out, 30 minutes out uh, and so on. So we had a couple of nights where things were pretty, you know, easy going, no significant weather. So we did the four hour, we did the one hour check in and then we we're okay. But uh, on the first night we had significant winds. So this particular system operates in uh, 11 meters per second, gusting up to 14 meters per second, which, you know, the, that's pretty robust for a small drone. But the, the second part of that is the animation and the quality of animation for the client. Cause you know, it's not just about getting the show in the sky and, you know, we ticked a box, we did it. If the animation doesn't look great, then it's kind of a, you know, a downside to the experience. So we really needed to make sure that what we were presenting was in the best interest of the client and, you know, obviously safety is paramount. So we had winds right under limitation, but gusting right up to limitations four hours beforehand, but they were forecast to subside as we got closer to the actual event. And so on a particular night, the winds were still quite strong and I quickly coordinated with the meteorologist and the rest of the ground crew if we could slide our launch time 10 minutes later, which would give us a little bit more time to allow the wind to drop off and then the show would go ahead. But that was all occurring 30 minutes before we were gonna go. There's obviously uh, in the background or before the light show, there was um, music, musicians, there's a festival and it kind of culminates in the uh, drone light show. So it was communicating on radios with the crew at the top of you know, the festival to say, you need to keep that singer on the stage for a few more minutes because we're trying to slide things as well as coordinating with the maritime assets that were on the ground because we have it's a ferry terminal, the bay that we were in. So Circular Quay is quite a significant passenger transport terminal. So we also needed to, you know, make that happen in between ferries going in and out without having too much impact on passengers. So it was coordinating with the maritime element to say, look, when's the next ferry going out? When's the next one coming in? Can we slide that by 10 minutes? Can you hold the waterways? Yeah, it was, um, 
a lot of exciting things happening. And I think, you know, again, it kind of came back to my military experience in, you know, having high risk changing environments and being able to look at what you're up against, come up with solutions, work around how to communicate that and, and keep things safe and on track. And yeah, we, we got the show off the ground. The wind, I don't know how, the wind just died down. We did the show, we landed all the aircraft and then the wind started again. So it was freaky, freaky. That's, that's amazing. This leads me to my next question. So it sounds like you really all got very lucky, but also had a whole weather plan, had professionals on set, which is great. Having gone through this entire experience with all of the experience you have with flying drones for the military and this being your first experience, what was the most exciting part about it and what was the scariest part about it oh that's a good question i would say the most exciting part is you know the show is great and it's it's awesome to watch but it's actually after the show hearing the crowd clap and cheer that is probably the thing that really it's spine tingling because you think you know i love it i like watching it and i know what it's about but listening to the audience clap and cheer and just you know, they would mesmerize and just, yeah, it's like nothing else. And, you know, it's very new in Australia. So people have never seen anything like that. So it, it, that that's probably the most exciting thing. The scariest thing, I guess, during all the preparation and, and when we were calibrating drones and running through the, the circuits and stuff like that is, you know, making sure that things are going to plan, that it's great to have, you know, steps in place, but, you know, the event going ahead right on time because we were you know isolated from the rest of the festival we needed to really make sure that our timings were down pat so we had a bit of a checklist of items of timeline and, and a sequence of events so at certain times I would make calls I would check in with people so that they could uh, have that little bit of time to prepare knowing that I was going to call and ask hey verify that this is done verify that that is done so I think making timings meet dead on the money so that as the you know music show finishes everyone turns around looks up to the sky and goes oh my god that's amazing and just to give the audience perspective on how many people it takes to run a drone show of this caliber how many people were a part of the whole team um so the sky show itself and our crew there was three operators from intel myself and another from mirigan and then three crew from agb as the event coordinators so we were just part of the sky show itself but then the rest of the festival there was a whole heap of stakeholders in terms of you know, um, New South Wales Maritimes, ferries, transport, air services, CASA, you know, a lot of those weren't there on the night, but they definitely played a role in getting that show up and running. So stakeholders, we had a huge list to make sure that that was, that we met all the requirements there. And I recall reading in one of the articles that uh, a number of the stakeholders on your team were women. Yeah, yeah. So essentially myself... Doesn't as a seem normal, so would love to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we, to be honest, we didn't even notice that that was the case. I, I think because I'm used to being one of, you know, few or, or very little women working in a male-dominated environment, it, it doesn't really occur to me anymore that I'm, you know, that, that one person. Um, so, but on top of that, our representative from Intel, the light show provider was a female. And then, um, we also had a, the lead from AGB events and the, um, senior production manager was a female. So 
yeah, it, it's certainly not something that we had planned, but it was a great uh, opportunity, I guess, and an example of how there are people out there and may not get that exposure. But yeah, women are definitely evolving in this space and, and moving, you know, I guess in that collaborative sense a lot more. Yes, definitely. Uh, the needle is slowly moving on the remote pilot end as well, especially here in America or the US. So I think you, I kind of want to go back to just your military experience with drones and then your experience with drones today. So and just sort of a, com- a comparison, are you flying um, multi-rotorcraft drones as well, or is most of your experience with military drones, or do you do both, and what do you what do you enjoy most? Yeah, so in the military, it was all um, fixed-wing aircraft, large-scale, upwards of 120 kilograms, beyond visual line of sight, you know, sort of the 125-kilometer radius type you know, from operator to system. Outside of military, I would definitely like to get back into that space and do a little bit more work. And And I am consulting in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight for some other um, civil providers. But, you know, it's not really that common, I guess, outside of military sense to do the large scale at, at this time. But that will develop, over, you know, in the next few years as you know, drones are sort of taking off, in, especially in like, you know, passenger transport and, and trying to do air taxis, etc. Um, so now I, I only operate um, small, less than 25 kilo, generally multi-rotor in the agriculture sense or in, you know, I, I have a couple of my own that I just film when I'm out with friends and stuff. So everything is really less than 25 kilo multi-rotor. And so to, to simplify that, None of my skills in military flying transferred into my civilian flying. Um, we certainly don't have a remote control, the large scale. It's all computer system and, and operated by a mouse and a computer and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's very different worlds, but mm. somewhat similar because they're all remote. So speaking of your drones that you go out and fly for filming, what are you flying and what do you like to capture? Yeah, so I have an old school original Mavic Pro. Uh, that I do, um, you know, filming with. And to be honest, I don't really enjoy too much of getting on the the, the controls anymore. I, I definitely love and appreciate other people's work a lot more than mine. It's more a hobby, but I sort of like the higher risk, yeah, like more detailed sort of planning and, and you know, consulting now more than I do operating. Definitely understand that. I feel like I'm not flying as much as I used to when I first got my drone, mm. um, probably just because of timing. But so kind of speaking more to our community and those who might be interested in learning more about drone light shows, consulting, maybe even learning more about beyond visual line of sight or joining the military and the drone mm. space. What would you say to them on any advice or any tips that they that you would want to share for them to get started? Yeah, look, I always sort of have the analogy that find a hobby that you really love and then turn it into your work. And then it doesn't really seem like work because you do what you love doing and, you know, it doesn't seem like a hindrance. So if it's photography or drone flying or, you know, depending on what it is in the industry, if, if that's what you like, then then follow it. And, and there's always opportunities, you know, if it means starting out and volunteering with someone to get that exposure before branching out on your own, then, then give that a go. 
I always sort of say consult and collaborate with as many people as possible because, you know, like there's a lot of drone providers out there but everyone's working independently and I feel that if there was a little bit more collaboration then we would probably move faster within the industry in terms of you know getting regulation and and representing and and making things change in particular something like a drone light show and that's I won't call it swarming but the one-to-many operation you know that's really just kicking off in Australia but the opportunities that that could present is is next level. Definitely agree with that point. And then just to uh, just sort of close this off, I love to end with some rapid fire questions. <laughs> so in um, a couple seconds, I would like to just ask you these rapid fire questions and then uh, just respond with a one to two word answer. All right. Are you ready? Go. All right. Favorite drone to fly? Oh, don't have one, but Skydio. Good answer. Favorite environment to fly in? Complex, difficult, high energy tempo. Favorite memory flying a drone? Oh, it would have to be the drone light show. And favorite location you have ever flown? Afghanistan. There's a lot of great scenery, a lot of great opportunity. Not always negative, but, you know, a, a good cause for a good, yeah, country that was really in need at the time. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sue, for sharing all of your knowledge and information with us today. I really appreciate learning from you. I really appreciate you being on the show with us. And for those who are interested in learning more about you, how can they find you? Yeah, so I guess my LinkedIn profile, Sue Osborne with no E, probably the best way to get connected or look up Mirigan Consulting at mirigan.com.au. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. Bye.